to this stage. Good morning all. It's lovely to be amongst you. And I can see some familiar faces, which is very nice when you come visiting. And you already know a few people, and it's great. So this morning I uh, want to share a little bit about my story and perhaps bring a few thoughts to you about sexuality. Not many people come to church on a Sunday morning to hear people talk about sexuality. (laughs) And uh, I often think to myself, how did I end up in this situation working as kind of like a church sexologist, but, um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it was my worst nightmare. But it came out of my story. And God can use your stories. He can use your journey and he can minister to other people because of your journey. It doesn't matter what brokenness you've had, what brokenness you've come from. God can use those things. Nothing's wasted in his economy. But, you know, all the way through the Bible, we see all sorts of different family situations and, and we see people in the Bible that are just like us, don't we? I've got a really crazy, horrible habit of doing that. <laughs> I don't know why, but I'm sorry. Um, I probably just broke all the rules of the church. And, um <laughs> but, oh... <laughs> But, you know, God's in the business of changing us, isn't he? He's in the business of changing our identities and our false perceptions about ourselves. And he's given us this wonderful word because this Bible is full of stories about ordinary people and about people just like us, even if they lived in ancient times. And so I thought I'd just start off this morning just by talking to you a little bit about one family that I think is reasonably dysfunctional. And in the ministry that I do now, I work with homosexual people and people with same-sex attraction and people who struggle in that area. And uh, I think this is one of the stories that's quite helpful to think about and, and learn from because it's a family that I think we can relate to quite a lot in the ministry area that I'm in. And so I just thought we'd maybe have a look at Jacob. And in Genesis 32 and from verses 24 to 29, we pick up a little piece of his life and a little piece of something that happened to Jacob. It's kind of coming through the process of his life. So it says there, So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Probably most of you are quite familiar with the story. And then the man asked him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob, he answered. It's quite a strange name, isn't it? Because we know that Jacob meant deceiver or supplanter. I mean, who kind of has a baby come into the world and have a beautiful set of twins and call one of them deceiver? It's amazing, isn't it? I've seen some pretty strange names. Even my surname's pretty strange as a basket, but I didn't choose that one. (laughs) I inherited that um, from my husband. So, you know, but I mean, who calls their kid deceiver? That's not a really good label to give somebody right from the start of their lives. And, you know, sometimes right from the start of our lives, we get all sorts of labels put on us, don't we? Sometimes even within our own families. And they can chain us, and a bit like the song we've just sung, Jesus can break every chain, including the labels and including these false identities that we can have. And so this man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and with man and have overcome. And then he blessed him there. And I think that's such a lovely thing because Israel was so, that name was so full of promise. It was a name of multiplication. It was a name that was going to be used and, and would be carried on through generation after generation. We still have the name of Israel today. And I think it's wonderful because this, this meeting that Jacob had with God changed him from being the deceiver to being somebody who's a man of promise. And that's what God can do to us. You know, he, the Bible's full of stories of people like Jacob. 
But I like Jacob because when I start looking at Jacob, I see some things that I recognize with people that I deal with frequently. And when you have a look back into Jacob's life and you kind of see how he grew up, you see something quite funny in his family. And so we're just going to have a little look at Genesis 25, just going back a little bit, and um, in verse 27. And it says in here, the boys grew up, this is the twins Esau and Jacob, and, became, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. While Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents, he was a first camp man. Um, and I, I knew there'd only probably be a few people who would hear that, but anyway. Um, anyway, and because, uh, you know, anyway, he was amongst the tents. And um, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebecca loved Jacob. And when we kind of think about this picture of this family, we can see that there are two very different boys that had personalities that were very, very different, even though they were twins. And some of you were here yesterday and you watched a really, really good DVD by a, a man called Ricky Shillette. And he, it's a fantastic thing. If you haven't seen it, please ask if it can be run in different places in the church. But Ricky identifies that he works with homosexual people too, and he's identified that, that boys in particular are born on kind of a continuum that starts with the very extreme sensitive boys right through to the rough and tumble boys. And the majority of men are in the rough and tumble bracket, but a small percentage of men are born very sensitive boys. And so these boys often struggle, and it's generally these boys that end up in same-sex attraction because they're different and they feel different. And I'm not going to unpack all of that because you can watch the DVD. But we can see this a little bit with Jacob and Esau. Because there's Esau, he's a rough and tumble boy and dad likes him because dad's rough and tumble too. And they go out hunting and, sh and fishing and shooting wild camels in the desert, you know, and, and they get out there and they have a lot of fun. But Jacob stays in the tents and makes cupcakes with mum. And he's a mum's boy. And, uh, and unfortunately, mum's also got some personality things there where she's kind of a little bit tricksy as well. And we know that mum was a, quite sort of um, happy to deceive a little bit herself. In fact, deception was probably something she honoured and valued. And maybe that's why he got called deceiver, because she saw it more as a quality. And sometimes we can get trapped into that too. Sometimes we can think, well, we can't help it. Our family are just angry, and that's a good thing. And we're just tough on other people. And so we label ourselves with things that aren't that good, but we put a value on them that God doesn't. And I think that that's something that maybe happened to Jacob, and he got kind of trapped into this thing. And so, of course, we can follow the whole story about what happened and, and how that uh, Jacob's mother tricked the father and, and how Jacob got in on the act and that sort of thing. So, you know, we're all very familiar with the story of the sneaky trick family and uh, how Jacob ended up stealing Esau's birthright. And so it wasn't really a stable home. It wasn't really a very functional home. And Jacob then ended up having to go away and go to stay with an uncle called Laban who was also a deceiver. It's running along through the family line. And often we have these templates in our families where things like weaknesses can run through a family line. But it, when we come to Jesus, you know, those things can stop. And so in your life, you can be the end of that particular thing that runs through. My grandmother was an alcoholic, and so this ran through my family. It came to me, and I started going down that same line too for a little while, and that was one of my labels in earlier days. But it stopped with me. And, and it needs to stop in our families sometimes when we have labels like that, and it can, because Jesus does break every chain. Uh, but for Jacob, he ended up going to stay with this tricksy uncle called Laban. And Laban, we know, he got him into doing all sorts of things to win the woman of Jacob's heart and tricked him into all these things. You know how God sometimes processes these things out of us? God's really a great strategist. He'll often put you right alongside somebody else who's got the same problem as you. 
until you hate it so much in yourself that you yield it up to God. And so this is why when the angel was struggling with Jacob later on, he said, you've wrestled with man. And he had. He'd wrestled with a man who was just like him. And I think sometimes God does that to us and we try and run away when really God's trying to sort something out in us. Anybody had a really annoying boss? None of you. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yeah, I knew there'd be a few honest people in here. And, uh, you know, there are people sometimes God puts us alongside, somebody we're studying with or something like that, and we think, I can't stand this trait in this other person. And then God puts his finger on us and says, actually, it's in you too. And, okay, this person may be a more extreme version, but you need to deal with it in you too now that you can see how incredibly annoying it is. And uh, for me, I carried with me, because of my story and because of my past, I carried with me quite a lot of very bad attitudes. You know, when we come to Jesus, we think, come to Jesus and you're instantly perfect. And we're instantly godly saints. No, I haven't met any either. (laughs) And uh, it's a process, isn't it? We're instantly sanctified. We're not instantly sanctified. We're instantly justified. We're instantly right with God because of the blood of Jesus. We cannot add anything more to that. If we relinquish our lives to Jesus Christ, Jesus has paid for us. He has died for us. He has washed us clean with his blood. We can't add anything more to that, but we can start surrendering to God so that he sanctifies us, which is a longer process. He starts to change us. He starts to grow us so that we grow into the full maturity of Christ. That's the plan for a Christian. You know, and it should be natural for a Christian. And often we see people come in and they they sit in church and they like the idea of coming to Jesus and they love the milk and they soak that up and they want more sugar in their milk and they get fatter and fatter (laughs) spiritually, but they don't grow up. You know, and so I think it's horrible because half the time, poor pastors, they have to spend half their time running around after sort of 19-year-old babies who are still having their nappies changed. And it shouldn't be this way. In church, we should be starting to see the maturity of Christ coming through in people, shouldn't we? But you know why we don't? I think it's because a lot of people don't like to relinquish those parts because we start wrestling with God and we start wrestling often with people around us and we think, oh, Christianity is meant to be all comfortable. I've got bad news for you, actually. It's, it's a narrow road that puts you through a squeeze sometimes, and it's an uphill one. <laughs> and the view up there is great when you get there. you know. But it can take a little bit of processing and time. One time after I had come back to Jesus, and God had done some wonderful fast transformation work in me, and I was married, and we were living in a, a place in Auckland, And my husband was working on the Auckland Children's Hospital. He was an engineer, and so he was working with some fairly rough characters there. And there was a young man who was working alongside him. And this young man opened up to Jesus, and he became a Christian. But he was just such a sort of rough-and-tumble boy and such a um, messed-up kind of character that there was no way he was going to survive unless he had some real nice TLC. He was kind of baby Christian you had to actually take into your home. And so we did that. But this guy had been a biker and he had been in prison four times for all sorts of heinous crimes. And he was a bit of a, a tough character. And I could paint an even worse picture of him, but I don't think I will. But anyway, and this guy came into our home and within days he was sitting at the table with me and he was saying all women are the most dreadful creatures on earth all women are of the devil all women are cruel they have no feelings only men bleed and um uh, and with my background of uh, having come from being a lesbian it was kind of not sitting with me that well And uh, I was not quite sure whether I was going to go back into one of my earlier modes and start wrestling with man. And uh, so we were having this interesting time. But about on day two or three, I can't remember how close it was, but you hadn't been there very long, I was driving to work. And this was another thing. I used to grumble. I had to drive an hour to work every day. And then I began to decide and discover that this was a time when God began to speak with me. 
and it was a wonderful time. And I, in the end, was very thankful for this hour drive because it was a time I could put on worship songs or listen to some kind of sermon or something to uplift me, feed me, grow me, or I could start talking with the Lord. And on this day, I was probably doing one of those things when God broke in. And he does this. He gives us these encounters, a bit like the the angel, the man that came to Jacob, you know, something comes in from left field and you know you're dealing with God and you might not necessarily hear an audible voice. I don't think I've heard an audible voice, but you know it's God speaking to you. And here it came and the little kind of thought came into my head, unless you get rid of your bad attitudes about men, you're never going to be able to live with this guy. Because you're just the same, and you think the same things about men. (laughs) Oh, that was a little bit humiliating, but it was true. Because if God says something to you, he ain't going to lie to you about you. He's going to tell you the truth, and sometimes it can be squeamish and make you feel a little uncomfortable. And But if you don't deal with it, if you sit there and you wrestle with it all night, like Jacob did. I don't know whether he really needed to have a broken hip out of it, but maybe he did. But you maybe don't have to wrestle quite so much if you relinquish that identity, that thought, that that um, thing that's holding you. And so that was a wonderful thing. I, I said, okay, Lord, take it away. I'm willing to let go of my bad attitudes because that's what they were. And sometimes we have to name them for what they are. And, and let them go. And it was great. After that, I could sit at the table with him and he'd go on about how terrible women were and couldn't talk to them or anything. And I'd think, who are you talking to? <laughs> um, <laughs> but it never bothered me. There wasn't even a touch. It didn't bother me at all. And, and I thought, wow, I learned a wonderful lesson out of that. Thank you, Lord. And so, you know, now when I have somebody come alongside me and I think, boy, they're really annoying. I have to start asking myself, which part of that in me don't you like, Lord? (laughs) Which part of that that I'm seeing in this other person? What little um, speck or fleck have they got in them that is hiding the great big log in me? Please deal with it, Lord. And, uh, you know, and so we see these things in our lives and And I think it's wonderful that God deals with things and he changes things and he changes people's names and he can give you a name that means growth, multiplication, maturity and all those things that he renamed Jacob. And I just think that's really, really lovely because God's in that process of of processing prodigals. And it doesn't matter how old you are either. It doesn't matter. You can't can't say to yourself, well, that's okay for the young. It's easy for them. God will work on you all of your life. And I love it that he pulls me up. Even now I love it. I hope he pulls me up until I'm 99 if I get there because it's his love that wants to bring us through into greater freedom. And in doing that, he often puts his finger on us. And uh, so, you know, just think about that as you're going along and you're weak this week and you bump into that awful person. (laughs) Um, uh, there was C.S. Lewis wrote God whispers to us in our pleasures but he shouts to us in our pain it is his megaphone to wake up a deaf world pain removes the veil so when we're going through these hard times sometimes it's because God has something that he's wanting to do in us that will give us a greater freedom and we just need to come to a place sometimes where we give up And that's why people often, when they tell their testimonies, they say, oh, I came to this really dreadful point and I was groveling and, you know, and I was really, really bad and and I just couldn't live with life anymore. And, And you think, oh, that's really terrible. But it's there sometimes that we finally give up our fight, you know, and we give up our puny human strength. And we say, Lord, I can't do this anymore. I can't fight this thing. I can't fight this inclination. I can't fight this feeling that I have that's ruling me. Please come, give me the power to master it. Come, Lord Jesus, and come into my life, and you be the power in my life, because we can't do these things in our own strength, you know, and we need God's power to bring us through. And, um, you know, God can rewire us. And he can reward us when we come to him in that kind of surrender. And that's always where he wants to bring us to. Actually, the funny thing about our biker friend, 
was that he actually got to tell his testimony not long after that and and he brought home a recording of it for us. We didn't, hadn't heard it and he was in a nice Baptist church telling his story. And he said just that thing. He said, you know, a lot of people come to Jesus because he said, they're really down and out and they've got nothing. He said, that wasn't me. I had lots of assets. I had my guns. I had my knife collection. I had my bike. You know, I wasn't like that. <laughs> I thought, oh, it's just so cute. But he said, but Jesus came and he filled up those empty places in my life. So he knew that even though he had his assets, he was still empty. And uh, <laughs> what I didn't know was he had some of those guns under the house while he was living with us. My husband wasn't going to tell me that. And, um, you know, but but I can't look at that because I look at the things that God did in me and he did such a transformation in me. I was around about 19 years of age and I'd gone through the whole hippie thing and you know, life was kind of a bit of confusion at, at those years and it was very easy to get yourself into trouble. And so I came up through my teens in a time where people were doing all sorts of things and so I kind of burst out of my home in adolescent rebellion and, and moved out of home at the age of 16 and had a number of boyfriends and, and thought I was looking for life and pursued pleasure, I guess, but I also wanted to know Jesus. So I was on this crazy Christian roller coaster that was like, oh my goodness, I've done this sinful thing and oh, but I want Jesus. So I'd come back to church and I'd come up on an altar call and be very remorseful, not very repentant. <laughs> but um, but I tried to get myself through this kind of crazy time and and through it all, I began to think to myself, I'm just struggling to find love. I don't understand men for some reason. <laughs> They're a bit of a mystery which was what started to put in these layers of these bad ideas and attitudes that I had. And, uh, and so I began to probably bind myself with some lies of the enemy for a start. But also my life had been um, set up because of the dysfunctionality in my family. And um, I'd grown up in a family where there was a lot of trauma and there were a lot of messages that came through in my family. One of them was that my mother used to say quite frequently, you'd be better off being a man in this world. It's a man's world. And I used to think, well, I wish I was a man. And I would like to have been a man. I would rather have been a boy. And so there were a lot of things going on inside of me. But at 19, I still wanted Jesus. So I put myself through a 12-month Bible college course in Christchurch. Actually, it's quite funny how we can deceive ourselves or how we have delusions because only God really knows the truth of things. The year before that, I was living in Wellington in, Auckland, in New Zealand, and Wellington's quite susceptible to earthquakes. And while I was there, there was a 6.8 earthquake, and it was pretty scary. And so I moved to Christchurch and was so thankful because it was such a safe place to be away from earthquakes. <laughs> goes to show how deluded we can be. And only God really knows the truth of these things, doesn't he? But anyway, there weren't any while I was there, except for the one that I did in my own life. And uh, that was that I went through this Bible college and I came to my graduation night. And on my graduation night, I entered my first lesbian relationship. And so that was fairly conflicting for me, theologically, because I knew what the Bible said about these things, but somehow my feelings had taken me there and it was a very obsessive thing that happened, and the relationship was very, very intense. But I knew what the Bible said about these things, and I couldn't twist that. I couldn't try and redefine that, as some people do today. And so I spent a year trying to fight this and trying to not go that way. But at the end of the year, it was hopeless. The girl came to live in Auckland where I was, and that was it. I thought, I've tried to fight this thing. I can't change it. God can't change it. I've prayed. I've cried out. I, I don't know what else to do. I have to throw in my faith because I just can't walk with God. I know he's the truth, but I can't walk in his ways. And then I was kind of slightly annoyed, though, too, because I felt like God had made a mistake. He was very good at making things perfectly, but somehow with me, he'd made a mistake, and he'd actually put a man into this very short and rather curvy woman's body. <laughs> and... And so I actually seriously considered having a sex change, but my mother didn't know my story. My father didn't know about my inclinations. 
And besides, I was much more afraid of my mother than I ever was of God. And so how do you go home and explain that one? And uh, But I seriously considered it because I, I had gender confusion. And so I went into this relationship with this woman who was my soulmate. She was absolutely my dream person who was going to fulfill me, who was going to love me all my life, and she was going to be God to me. And, and I was going to serve her like an emotional slave. And trouble was, about two or three months later, she ran off with another woman. <laughs> and so, you know, my, my God had crushed me and I was shattered into a thousand pieces. But the trouble was I still had this label that I'd now taken on. And actually I was very proud of my new label of lesbian because it gave me an identity that fit me and it was like this is what I've always been. I could see a history back in my life and and so I felt I'd found who I was. That's not the label that God had given me. It was the label that culture had given me, life had given me, and I'd given myself this false identity. And uh, so I, I didn't know what to do after that because I figured I'd, I'd have to find love some other way, so I'd have to find another Miss Perfect. And so I spent eight and a half years looking for Miss Perfect, having various relationships and, and knowing a lot of women and living with a lot of women. And most of you men would realize that women aren't perfect. There wasn't a Miss Perfect. <laughs> and the husbands all say, oh, amen, they say quietly as they hope that their wives aren't listening. <laughs> Uh, women are really hard to live with, aren't they? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Because God kind of somehow made us more complicated, and that's a, a good thing, and uh, we both have our parts to play, don't we? <laughs> but for me, I went through this process, and I began to think I can't find love with a man, I can't find love with a woman. I, I'm just, I'm not going to find love here. And I was about 28 years of age. I was looking at my friends, and... You know, the guys have this um, saying, and they, well, they did in my time anyway, and they used to say, no one loves a fairy when he's 40, you know. And so your life started getting discarded when you became a bit older. And I was seeing that amongst my friends. They were either kind of settling down into some kind of relationship that to me really never looked like what I was hoping for. And I had been a Christian, and I knew that Christian relationships could be good things and that you know, that there were good, solid relationships full of love and full of joy. And and so, you know, I began to think, I don't want that. Other friends of mine were going off and maybe committing suicide or blowing their brains out on drugs or whatever else and sort of just thinking, let's end it. That seemed more logical to me. And uh, so I was starting to think, well, I'll jump off the Auckland Harbour Bridge and that might do it. But then on the other hand, I might just break every bone in my body and not die, and I'm really not into pain. And so that was the option was kind of like option number maybe two and a half. And uh, so, you know, I was starting to think what I could do. But this other little thought was saying to me, maybe God is out there. If, if he is out there and if he shows you, if he calls you, if he responds to you, if he reveals himself, perhaps... He will give you the power to walk in his ways. Because I was done with myself. And I think that that's a key for us. We have to be done with ourselves, done with our sin. There is no life in sin. The grass is not greener out there. You know, as a young person, when I was in church, when I was a young person, I used to hear testimonies, probably somewhat like mine. Mostly those days it was all about how people smoked tons of green stuff and, and what fun they had. And then in two seconds later they become a Christian and that's the end of the story. And I used to think to myself, oh, I never had the fun out there where all the grass is greener and where there's a lot of grass. <laughs> and, and I did uh, succumb to a lot of grass. And, uh, you know, but I also discovered that it's not greener and that there was no life there and that, that that's a great devilish lie, especially to say to young Christian people, you're missing out on the fun. You know, I've seen some of my friends, even in older years, even um, somebody I know who was quite mature, and because she came through a Christian family, she felt like her mother had repressed her from having fun. And so she left her husband in her 40s because she thought she'd have some fun where the green grass was, but all she really got out of it was a lot of regret. 
and a lot of pain. You know, so, I mean, I know some of you are not going to learn that secondhand from me, but I want you to hear it from me anyway, you know. And um, so at 28, there I was, and I said a last prayer. I was walking up the main street in Auckland, and, and I said, God, if you're out there, just show me. Please give me a sign. And then I remember that scripture from Matthew that says, it's an evil generation that asks for a sign. And uh, the devil will use scripture too, by the way. (laughs) And I said, well, I don't expect neons and whatever else, but please show me. And that night, a a tall, skinny guy who I'd known as a Christian hippie came around, knocked on my door. His name was Jeff Day, and he began a new day for me. He was a wonderful, wonderful man, a very gentle soul. And... um, Have I got time to tell you about the miracle? Yes, I have. (laughs) You see, I really needed to know that it was more than him just coming and knocking on doors and going door to door telling people about Jesus. And uh, he was really not that kind of person. So that was my first surprise. What on earth is he doing here? Not many people knew where I lived. I'd only been there for about six weeks. And even half my friends didn't know I was there. I was living on my own with my four cats. By that time, it was kind of like my cats are the most loyal thing to me. You know, other people have come and gone, but they're still here. Okay, cupboard love, but <laughs> but they were still there. And um, they seemed to put up with me and my quirks. And so, you know, there I was in this place on my own, and here's this guy, Jeff, knocking on my door. And he said kind of nervously, he said, I've come around to talk with you. And he said, I'll be honest with you, the church has sent me. And I thought, well, that's kind of odd <laughs> for a start. So I said, well, you better come in. And in my mind, I'm thinking connection this is God sending me somebody as my sign anyway he came in and he sat down on this you know the girls were never really very domesticated <laughs> I, at that stage I'd kind of drunk away most of my money I, I used to run the Auckland girls club with a couple of my friends that sounds so sweet doesn't it just sounds like sort of pink tutus and everything this was kind of nothing like that you know, the guys had clubs where they had beautiful wine glasses and, and that sort of thing, and they were really nice. We used to go up there and ooh and ah. Our club was above a bike shop, and um, it had carpet that was so sticky that when you walked on it, you sort of stuck into it because it was full of beer and we weren't domesticated, and so who was going to clean that? Where's the slave that's going to do that for us? And, uh, and so, you know, fun for us was having a bit of a fight over the pool table on a Saturday night and ducking bottles like that kind of person <laughs> you know one time I was stupid enough to take on a, a actually she was a um, girlfriend of mine and she was a softballer and so I one time took her on and she broke my nose try explaining that when you come to the office in the morning the next day with two black eyes you know and so you know so I'm just saying I kind of came from this kind of strange background and Jeff knew that and he had to come and he sit on this couch that I'd made out of curtains and <laughs> anyway and the cats probably sat on him too. But he said to me, you know, he said, um, your mother phoned the church and asked for somebody to come and see you. Well, that was an amazing neon light. Because for one thing, it was eight and a half years later. And I mean, I knew that she figured I wasn't probably living the most wholesome type of life, no matter how sneaky I was at trying to hide it. But it was eight and a half years later. But even more strange than that was that she'd rung this very large Pentecostal church. And my mother hated Pentecostals. (laughs) So why did she ring that church? Maybe because I'd been there before. But this was a large Pentecostal church. And so you ring up a large Pentecostal church and you get an executive pastor who's pastor number four or five who's the one that has to answer the phone. And, uh, you know, and what's he going to do? He... You know, he's not going to send somebody out to somebody who is a lesbian who hasn't actually asked for help, is he? But the trouble was, this was a young pastor who'd become a Christian through my sister. And so he couldn't fob it off. And so being in a large Pentecostal church, he did what a pastor would do, and he delegated it down the line. (laughs) And he delegated it down to the person who was looking after the home group in the area that I was living in, in the inner city, And it just happened to be this tall, skinny guy, Jeff Day, who knew me. And so he was, he couldn't fob it off either, but he was nervous about this because he thought, Shirley's going to kick me down the stairs with a few expletives if I go around to her place. 
which I probably could have done, but I wouldn't have done that to Jeff Day. He was such a lovely, gentle person. God knew who he was going to send me. He knew who was going to be gentle because you know what? Inside of somebody who's got that kind of bravado, inside of some of these girls you can see with beads sticking out of their nostrils and spikes off their heads and, and whatever else, is a very, very gentle, sensitive person who's trying to protect themselves by this external image a lot of the time. And um, so when he came round, I knew that God had given me my sign. And I, I sat there that night and probably figuring I can talk. And so he hardly got a word in edgeways, except at the end when he said, would you like to come to church with me and my wife on Sunday morning? And I said, yes. I think he was astonished at what a great preacher he was. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because I was able with him to really get kind of all the guck out, all that muck out. And what I had to confess to him, what I had to actually bring before God, unfortunately God had given me someone I knew was somebody who wouldn't go blasting that all around the world because it was such juicy gossip. He was a very um, discreet man. They say Moses was the meekest man on earth, but I swear Jeff Day is the second. And, uh, <laughs> but this guy, he listened to all of this stuff. And what I confessed to him was not things like I'm an alcoholic and I'm a lesbian and I've done all these terrible things. Right deep down inside, my real initial sin was that I had rebelled against God and run away because I wouldn't trust that he'd bring me through this. I didn't trust God. I had rebellion against him in my heart. And so I needed to get that out. Now, I don't know what happens in your lives, but sometimes we have this little thing that's like a stronghold within us, and we just don't want to give it up. But until we do, we can't progress on. And um, so that's kind of how it was for me. And I came back to Jesus at 28 and I um, decided that I would follow God whether I felt a moment's joy again in my life. I would just do that as a deliberate act of my will. And so that Friday night I went up to the pub that was kind of my church at the time. I went to have fellowship there on Fridays and Saturdays and I drank in of the spirits. <laughs> Actually, not really. I drank a lot of beer, but anyway... <laughs> And uh, so I went up on Friday night. You know what? God's amazing to us. He's, he overblesses us often, doesn't he? And the pub that I was always going to, it was kind of my home pub. It was all the guys went there as well, and the girls. And it was closing that weekend, and so that was great because I, you know, never needed to know where they went after that if I chose not to, and I chose not to. So it was like I never had to be tempted to go back to that place as I drove past. It wasn't that place anymore. Isn't God good to us? Yeah, and so I shouted a whole lot of jugs of beer and said goodbye to everybody. And um, they all said to me, where are you going? And I said, well, I'm going back to uh, God. And um, they said, well, that doesn't happen. You know, you, you know, you'll be back. And I said, I won't be back. And I wasn't. And <laughs> but they all looked and they said, this is crazy. You know, this is who you are. You were born gay. You can't actually change this. You know, this this is who you are. And although I still believed that at that point of time, I knew that if God was giving me the power, even if that were true, even if I had been born gay, God was going to give me the power to walk in his ways and I was going to follow him with everything I had because I wanted to be with him in eternity. You know what? I didn't come back to Jesus to be heterosexual. I didn't think, oh, my goodness, I'm going to change now from being homosexual to heterosexual. I came back because I wanted Jesus. I missed Jesus. I'd missed him in my life. And I knew I didn't have him in my life. And so I came back to walk in his ways. And so we say the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. And that's what we need to encourage people to do. You know, we can't expect people to come into church and change from one thing immediately to something else. But God does change us. And he does process us through these things. And one of the things that he had to do with me was knock off this identity, this label that I had. Okay, I'm going to ask for permission for a couple of minutes just to tell my identity story, okay? Okay, so I'd come back to Jesus. I still had this thought that I was God's celibate gay. And so I thought, that's okay with me, and that's fine. I'm going to be celibate. I'll do what God wants but I can't change who I am because I hadn't realized at that stage and I didn't know what I know today. Nobody's born gay. There is no gay gene, okay? 
that there's no valid evidence of a gay gene, even though you, I know you may read it in the paper again tomorrow, um, but ask people, where's the evidence of this? There actually isn't, but it's what people want to believe. And the reason why is because it's also not a choice. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I choose to be gay, I'm sick of being this way, I'm going to have fun and I'm going to be gay. <laughs> Nobody in their right mind does that. It's a real struggle for people. Most people who have had same-sex attraction have gone through utter torment, especially if they've been in the church, you know, especially if they've been Christians. It's not something somebody chooses. It's something that starts very, very early in your formative life. So you feel like you've been that way all of your life. You do feel like that. So here I was, and I was still wearing this kind of thought in my mind and this label. And it was about probably a couple of months after I'd come back to Jesus, and I was driving up a hill one day, and um, I probably need a little sip of water for this one. Off. Here we go, Fran. Thank you. I was driving up a hill in the Auckland city and kind of just sauntering along, having a good old time there. And as I was driving up the hill, I saw this girl coming along and she was walking up the hill in this really short skirt. You know, girls, sometimes you have no idea what guys think. And I know what guys think because I train my, way to th my mind to think as guys think. And I saw this girl coming up the hill and I thought, whoa, look at that. See, I told you I had to have a drink. <laughs> so I did what I did, and I whistled out the window. What an idiot. How goofy, especially when you realize you've actually got a passenger sitting next to you. Ah. Well, we revert sometimes, don't we? <laughs> and so I kind, of, I kind of turned my head back into the car, and I knew without a doubt that Jesus was sitting next to me. Okay, I tricked you. It wasn't really a person, but it was certainly the presence of Jesus. I just knew he was in the car with me sitting there, and I felt like such a noggin. And if you guys do that, I hope you feel like that too, if it ever happens to you too. But um, I saw myself suddenly through God's eyes, and he said very clearly to me in my mind again, he spoke these things to me, and he said, I did not make a mistake. I created you as a woman. And I, you don't have to be like every other woman. You don't have to wear pink tutus. It's okay. You are who you are. I've created you as an individual, unique as you are. But I created you as a woman. I did not create you a lesbian. I created you as Shirley, and that's the only label you have to wear. You are my daughter, my child. You are a child of God. That's your label. That's your identity. Your identity, you are now in Christ. Your identity is in him. Oh, what an amazingly wonderful moment that was for me. And I'm so glad that God dealt with me so quickly with some of these things because I know people do struggle with things for a lot longer often. And so I'm just saying this is my journey. Not everybody does it the same way. But I'm so thankful because that label would have chained me and it would have held me. And so and I'm so thankful that God took it off me that way. And so I've always invited him to come into my life. He can humiliate me whenever he wants. Never pray that prayer. He always takes it up. <laughs> but if you're brave, it's a good one because through it he brings you through into other places of dignity. And uh, I know when I met Pete, my husband, we had a really weird courtship. He called it the taming of the shrew. Uh, and uh, <laughs> so, you know, one day I said to him, you think being married is going to be like a bed of roses? And he said, you think after all these months that I would think that? <laughs> I thought, You've got a point. And, um, <laughs> and one time I remember I, was having, I had a fight with Pete and I went back to my flat and I was all miffed and my dignity was ruffled. And, and I said, you know, what about my dignity? I was telling the father about this, you know, I'm trying to get him to justify my bad behavior. And God said to me, you don't even know what dignity is. <laughs> now ring Pete up and apologize to him. <laughs> you know, so he has these little ways of kind of unearthing us. And, and I'm glad, and I'm glad that my marriage started on that foot too, because there's been plenty of apologies needed along the way. And so... But isn't God good to us? I never thought that I would marry. 
I never thought God would give me a wonderful man that I would be with for so far 30 years and that we'd be best of friends and that when knitted together spiritually, we began our lives in Jesus. He was a punk. I mean, what does a punk know about romance and love, you know? (laughs) He had his own baggage to deal with and how good God has been to us. You know, I'm so... Now, I'm not saying marriage was the answer to me, but it was something God brought us together and, and made us a real fighting unit. And he's a drummer, so that tells you he's unusual for a start, okay? <laughs> and um, But God blesses us, you know. And so I just want to encourage you this morning and just say to you, you know, that for some of you, you may have felt like you've been struggling with things for many, many years. I think sometimes we need to say, God, what is it in me that you want to take? What is it in me that you want to just shift out of me? What are these false labels that I've got on me? Maybe they're things other people have put on you. Maybe somebody said to you when you were a kid, you'll never amount to anything or that you're an idiot or something like that. I mean, didn't they say that about Einstein, that he was an idiot or something, you know, that he had no brain? (laughs) You know, but, but God wants to remove those things from you. And I don't care how young or old you are and, um, God wants to bring change into our lives all the way through because he wants us to have greater freedom and he can do it. I've seen wonderful stories of transformation. I've seen many, many gay people who've come to Christ and walked their way through with God. Some are single, some are not. Some of them still have affectations. Anybody seen Cy Rogers speak? Yeah. He's not exactly the biggest brutish guy you've ever seen on stage, is he? He wouldn't tell you stories about kicking people downstairs or having noses broken, <laughs> you know, but but that's okay. God's created him the way he is, and he's given him wonderful, wonderful wisdom and a great gift from God to communicate. And what we say about Cy Rogers is he's the straightest preacher I've ever heard. And, uh, you know, and that's wonderful. God will do with you what he's going to do with you, but don't carry the false identities with you. And so shall we just pray? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Actually, I wonder if we can just stand. Maybe we could all just stand for a moment. Holy Spirit, you come and you speak to us. You come and you bring enlightenment to us. You bring revelation to us. And Lord, I know that it's not because you want to condemn us. It's far from that. Lord, there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. But you come because you want to shift things in us that, Lord, are not helpful to us or they've been holding us or they've been chaining us. And they've been keeping us in places where we're just slogging along day by day, wondering why we have no victory. So I'm asking you, Lord, to just come this morning and start to just touch people and to speak to them. And Lord, perhaps some of them have sat here and thought, if you knew my upbringing, if you knew the things that were spoken to me, you'd know that I've been trapped in that all my life and you don't need to be. Lord, I pray that those people will hear you say you don't need to be, that today you can have a new identity, that you can have a new truth put over that thing that's been holding you so long it can be removed as far as the east is from the west. Lord, that today there are some people who've come from families where there have been false values. And Lord, you're saying to them, this is it. Today, that's it. It's going to stop. It's going to stop in my family. There's going to be no more violence. There's going to be no more secret things happening at home that if I even told them to somebody here at church, I would be ashamed to say. Today, that's going to stop in my family because I'm no longer going to wear that. It's no longer the truth about me. It's no longer the truth about my family. And that's not who I am. Who I am is Jesus' follower. I am one who belongs to Christ. I am a son or a daughter of God. And I have Jesus' DNA in me. And whenever I take communion, I take that DNA by symbol into me. And I say, I'm blood of your blood. And I'm body of your body. And I am in you. We are family. The DNA of God is going to run through my life from now on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, just speak to people right now. 
thank you, Jesus. Break every chain. I don't even care if it's the chains of darkness, of demonic things. Break every chain, Lord God. Break those lies. Break those falsehoods. In Jesus' name I pray and I take authority over those things right now. And I ask you, Lord, to bring freedom in people's lives this morning. Lord, that, I don't know, maybe we're going to sing a last song perhaps. I'm not quite sure. But when we do, when we come into worship, that we'll just know, that we'll know that we've wrestled with God and we've asked him for that blessing and he's given us something new in our lives this morning. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Okay. Uh, let's put our hands together. Uh, that, that's just uh, an amazing thing to do. Um, we, we're not going to keep you much longer, but uh, who, who knows? It takes a lot of guts to do what uh, Shirley does. You know that is courageous, and uh, not only is it courageous, but if you understand spiritual warfare, it means that then every time we give that testimony, we will then be challenged and attacked because we've lifted up Jesus Christ. So, you know, it's, it's a real incredible thing. And Shirley's not well in her body. She's got uh, going to go back for an operation and stuff. She's come all the way from Sydney to be with us. And whether we know it or not, in the Western world, the battleground now is what the church is saying about homosexuality. And, uh, you know, that's not been our choice, but it's society's choice saying what we want to do and it's so hard just to pitch it right because we want to be a church that's loving and accepting and this church should be the safest place in the world to be if you've got a problem if you've got an issue whatever it might be this is a place where you'll be loved and accepted but we also want to say that Jesus is the answer and in the name of Jesus there is power and we can break every chain so, Shirley, we do want to thank you so much for coming. We're going to bless you, and uh, uh, hopefully we're going to do what? We've got a gift. We've got a gift as well. So let's put our hands together. Have you brought any of your books? We've got some books for sale. It's a great testimony, and the title is The Girl Who Outrun the Devil. So uh, it's a great story, and... Uh, what it does is that the same God that's redeemed Shirley, the same God that's redeemed Mike, the same God that's redeemed Tank, he's on your side. He's on your side. God's disposition towards you is, yes. You are loved? Yes, God says. You are forgiven? Yes. You're welcome to God's family? Yes. And all we have to do is say back to God, yes. God's disposition is, the Bible says that all the promises of God, I won't get to preaching, but all the promises of God are yes and amen. So if you don't know Jesus Christ yet, or if you're struggling with labels or issues, the answer is yes. God bless you. We'll see you tonight. You only live once. YOLO, YOLO. Who knows what YOLO means? Anybody know what a YOLO? All the young people do, yeah. Okay. God bless you. Thank you, Shirley.